God series on the doctrine of the Trinity, the most important doctrine in all of Christianity. And as I've said at the outset each week, it's the most important doctrine in Christianity because it tells us who the God is whom we worship. The doctrine of the Trinity is not just a truth to be understood academically in the mind. It is a truth about God's nature that is to be experienced. So for anyone who hasn't been tracking with us the uh, last couple of weeks, I'm going to start with a little bit of recap before we press on into our message this morning so that we can all together move forward in this study. Uh, On the first week, we identified this problem that I've called Trinitarian vagueness. Instead of a deep knowledge of and real enjoyment of our triune God, we often have at best a vague feeling that somehow the Trinity is true. This vagueness, I believe, is having a negative impact on our communion with God, on our prayer lives, our Bible reading, our enjoyment of worship in church. Instead of strong relationships with the three persons of the Godhead, as revealed in Scripture, there's often a kind of Trinitarian fuzziness in our minds as we approach God. And I believe this is hindering our deeper communion with God. So because of that problem, our goal in this series, this five-week series, is to try to move from this place of Trinitarian vagueness to a place where we have clearer knowledge of what the Bible reveals about our triune God. So we started uh, two weeks ago uh, in Matthew 28, 19, and laid some Trinitarian foundations by looking at what it means to be baptized into the triune name. We saw that God wants us to think about our discipleship and salvation in a Trinitarian way. We also saw that the life of discipleship is working out what it means to live in the goodness of the triune name and how we are to wear that name well. God wants us to think about our salvation and discipleship in a Trinitarian way. That is why in those very last words of Christ, the Great Commission, Jesus said as we see people become Christians and see them baptized and joining the church, they are to be baptized into the triune name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then we built on that last week and looked at the Trinitarian shape of the gospel. We considered how the gospel flows out of the being of God. We say that in the gospel, the fa- God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saves us by being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for us. We chartered some deep waters last Sunday, and I appreciate those who have followed up with helpful questions or comments. But essentially, we saw that the Father in the gospel sends out the Son. And this mission of the Son's being sent reflects the eternal Trinitarian relationship of the Son who eternally proceeds out from the Father. We saw that the Spirit is sent out from the Father and Son, which reflects the eternal relationship of the triune God. The Father and Son eternally breathe out the Holy Spirit. 
And we said that the gospel begins and ends with the triune God. The good news of the gospel is that God has opened up the dynamics of his triune life and given us a share in that fellowship. And we use that illustration um, from the sports field. When I was playing rugby and we would gather into a huddle and everyone would link arms and be in a circle. And then someone would come late to that huddle and you would open up and welcome that person in and enfold them into the circle. And we said essentially that is what God is doing in the gospel, opening up the dynamics of his triune life and welcoming us in to be enfolded in the fellowship and communion of the Godhead. And one of the application points that I left off with last week was that we are to seek to cultivate as Christians a relationship not just with God in general, but with each of the persons of the Godhead. I left off there last week and said that I would develop this thought this week. And that's where we're going to start this morning. And the first thing I want to see, us to see is that this idea of cultivating fellowship as Christians with each of the persons of the Godhead is not just an idea that I'm making up or suggesting. I believe this is very scriptural. Scripture speaks of us as Christians sharing fellowship with each of the persons of the Godhead individually and not just God in general. Where do I see that? Well, 1 John 1, 3, for example. John writes, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. As Christians, we share fellowship with the Father. So you're thinking in your prayer life, you're not just praying generally, God, you're you're praying our Father. But we are also told that we share fellowship with the Son. We're going to be thinking about that more next week. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, in that lovely benediction, Paul invites all of us as Christians to enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we're to be thinking as Christians that we can enjoy a kind of fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And on the first week, I quoted uh, from the author of uh, the book, The Magnificent Three, Nicky Cruz, who was saved out of a very rough uh, gang background in New York. And he speaks of how the most important thing in his Christian growth was to come to understand how he could share as a Christian a relationship, not with just with God as some vague generality, but with the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's what Nicky Cruz writes. I've always believed in the doctrine of the Trinity, but I had never experienced God personally as three in one. It was at first merely a doctrine in which I believed, but now it has become a truth of everyday life. God has developed in me a sense of the separate relationships which I can have with Father, Savior, and Holy Spirit. He has shown me the strength that comes from those separate relationships, the power for living that comes from the three faces of God. He's taught me to feed off the Trinity for my daily sustenance rather than just having some vague feeling that the Trinity is somehow true. So because of 
This neglected truth of Scripture that as Christians we are to cultivate a relationship with the three persons of the Godhead, because of that kind of testimony and experience, for the rest of our series, we're going to think now about what it means to cultivate a relationship with each of the persons of the Godhead. This morning, we're going to consider building a relationship more intimately with the Father, then next week with the Son, and in the final week, with the Holy Spirit. But let's never forget, as soon as we move to think of each of the persons of the Godhead, we we need to keep being brought back to the unity, the oneness of God. And we quoted a couple of weeks ago that word from Gregory of Nazianzus who said, the moment I go to think of the, the one are the one person, I'm brought back to the oneness of the three. And the moment I think of one of the three, I'm brought back. And he just talks about this beautiful movement between the threeness and oneness of God. So we have to keep that in mind. But now, this morning, here is our roadmap for moving forward. We're going to first consider the Father as he exists in himself. Before creation, the Father of the eternal Son. Second, we're going to consider the Father as he is towards us, adopted in Christ and in the Spirit, children of the Father. And then third, we're going to think of the implications of knowing God as our loving Heavenly Father in our day-to-day living. And it has been my prayer that God, by his Spirit, would work in our hearts this morning so that we would experience what Romans 5.5 means when we read of the Holy Spirit pouring the love of God into our hearts. Because whether you're feeling keenly your brokenness this morning or not, the, the thing that each of us need more than anything else is to know the secure, incredible, infinite love of the Father wrapped around us like a blanket comforting us from the deepest part of our being. So, in order to do that, let's again... Think carefully this morning and think, first of all, about the Father as he is in himself. I want to ask this opening question. What is wrong with this statement? God the Father is essentially the creator. That is who the Father is at his most basic level. Now, I'm not asking for answers audibly, but just ponder it. If you were to say, what's wrong with that statement? What would you say? Well, if we say the Father is essentially a creator, then he needs a creation in order to be who he is. He depends on something outside of himself to be who he is. This would be a mistake to say that the Father essentially is a creator. So who is God the Father essentially? Well, When we look back before the foundation of the world, before the world was established, before God ever said, let there be light, we learn that the most foundational thing about God the Father in Scripture is the fact that he is a father. Now, I'm sorry if that's not that profound, but it is true. The Father is essentially always revealed in Scripture eternally as a father. Father of whom? If he is a father eternally, then 
That means he has to eternally have a son. And of course, the father is eternally the father of the son, the second person of the Godhead. In John 17, 24, Jesus speaks of this pre-creation relationship with the, between the father and the son, saying, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, the glimpses we get from Scripture tell us that God the Father in His most essential being is a father. When did the Father become a father? There was never a beginning to His fatherhood. He is eternally a father. He has eternally stood as the father of the eternal Son. There was never a time when the Son was not. And so there was never a time when the Father was not a father. Now, this is really good news because, as we said last week, these relationships within the Godhead tell us something so important about our God that He is by nature relational. And we can say more than that this week. By nature, our Heavenly Father is a Father. And sometimes we can struggle with this conceptually. If our experience of an earthly father is not a good thing, and sadly in this fallen world that can be a reality, we can have a very bad association with the idea of a father. But let me try and help you with that this morning. We shouldn't take bad examples of earthly fatherliness and project them back on to the true good father. It starts the other way around. All fatherliness in an earthly sense is to take its lead from the good father. And so if you've had a bad experience of a father or no experience of a father, God's heart this morning towards you and towards us all, I believe, through Scripture, is to reveal his true good father heart so that you can always say, well, though my earthly father failed, I have a heavenly father who has loved me. So, let's think a little bit more about what this means that God the Father is essentially a father. And I'm sorry that the text has come through a little bit small on that. Scripture reveals, I believe, at least three main properties of God's fatherhood. That language is a little clinical, but I couldn't think of a better way to put it. Essentially, what I want to say now is that when we come to pray and we're, we're coming to, to say our Father, as Jesus taught us to in the Lord's Prayer, here are the kind of things we are to be thinking of when we come to have communion, fellowship with the Father. First, He is the eternal source and giver of life. Think about this. A Father is a person who gives life who begets children. The Father is eternally outgoing and an eternally life-giving God. Listen to how Jesus spoke of his life in itself that flowed from the Father's life in himself. In John 5, 26, Jesus said, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
When did the Father grant the Son this life? Well, we say it's an eternal grant. There was never a time when it was not. Eternally. The Father has given out life to the Son, and the Son has this life in Himself from the Father. When you come to think of the Father, think of Him as the source and originator and giver of all life. And we're going to think about this in the implication section, not just the giver and creator and originator of spiritual life, but also physical life. The blue sky that we enjoy, the sun, the greenness of the, the grass, the flowers, the beauty. He's the father of all of creation and new creation. Second thing I think we're to think of when we think of the father or the properties of his fatherliness. He is the eternal source and sharer of love. God is love. This good father eternally first sets his love on his eternal son. There was never a moment where this father was not setting his love on his son. Think about that. Never a moment in all of, I'm going to say time, but before time and outside of time, there was never a moment where the father was not setting, moving out towards his eternal son in love. And the way Jesus speaks of this love in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is simply beautiful. In John 17, 24, he speaks of the love with which he was loved before the foundation of the world. In John 3, 35, we read, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. In John 5, 19 and 20, Jesus says, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. We could go to other places like Jesus' baptism and transfiguration. Matthew 3, Matthew 17. The Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son, my greatly loved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Bishop H.C.G. Mole has said, nothing shines more radiantly in the New Testament than the eternal love of the Father for the Son. Think about that. When that heavenly voice of the Father spoke at Jesus' baptism and the Holy Spirit was present also, that voice, this is my beloved son, was not just saying, I've only started to set my love on my son now. This is my beloved son from all eternity, manifested to you. It's incredible. So we're to think of the Father as the eternal source and giver of life, the eternal source and sharer of love. And thirdly, we're to think of the Father as the eternal source and sharer of all-satisfying delight. This is how the steadfast love of God finds its exuberant expression, if I may speak like that, in the Godhead and in creation. The love of the Father for the Son is not merely a dutiful love. It is a love that finds expression in shared and all-satisfying delight. In Isaiah 42, 1, speaking of the Son, the Father says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. That is some statement, isn't it? God speaking of the one in whom his soul, his being delights. That is his, in his Son. 
In 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul uses a wonderful phrase to describe the gospel. He speaks of the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Now, why is that significant? Well, that word blessed there is the same word that's used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, etc., etc. It can also be translated happy, but that feels a little bit flimsy and weak. Another way to translate it is flourishing with an abundance of shalom, peace, well-being, fullness of joy, delight, satisfaction. And Paul says he has come to proclaim and live in the goodness of the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, the happy God, the God who exists within himself with an incredible abundance of fruitfulness, joy, and delight. The triune God's internal communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a communion of delight. And that delight is the most satisfying delight that can be known and enjoyed. So when we come to pray later on today or later in this service or through the week and you come to say, Father, I would encourage you to get these three words and all they represent into your mind source of all life, love, and delight. All my life comes from you, Father. Created life and spiritual life. Love flows from you through your Son towards me. You want me to be enfolded in the goodness of it. And that loves find expression in delight. And we are to enjoy God as our Heavenly Father. This is a Life, love, and delight that the Father set on the Son eternally. The Son shares this life, love, and pleasure, and he echoes it back to the Father. We know that this joy, this life, love, and delight is shared and empowered in some mysterious way by the Holy Spirit. And in two weeks' time, we're going to think about the Spirit's ministry more fully. So, Let's just track with where we're going because I know I'm carrying you through some, some fairly heavy stuff. If we're going to enjoy communion with the Father, then I think we want to cultivate more fully this understanding of the Father as he is in himself, the Father of the eternal Son who has set life, love, and delight on his Son. Then we have to consider now how the Father is towards us. How does all the goodness of God's fatherliness make its way towards us. Well, we said last week that the good news of the gospel is that God has opened up the dynamics of the triune life and given us a share in that fellowship. How does God do this? How does God welcome us in to his fatherly relationship with his son and with the Holy Spirit? Well, we could summarize it by this one statement. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit on a mission to seek and save lost sinners and bring them home as sons. In the mission of the gospel, the Father's life, love, and delight that he eternally shares with his Son and Spirit is set upon us 
Now take a moment to take that in. That's incredible. The eternal life, love, and delight that the Father sets on the Son in the gospel. He sends the Son and the Spirit to bring us into that life, love, and delight. And he does that by making us children of God, sons and daughters of the living God. We do not come into the Godhead as strangers. We are made sons and daughters. And I want to just spend a little bit of time thinking this morning of a few texts that teach this, and then we'll just move straight to the implications so that we can think about what this means for our lives here and now. So we're thinking now about the fact that the mission of the gospel teaches that God sends the Son and the Spirit out to bring us home to the triune God as sons and daughters, family within the Godhead. So, first text I want us to look at or think of for a few moments. Lindsay read this for us earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Moving on. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We could say so much about this. Chosen, foreknown before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. Well, here's what I want us to see. First, Paul calls God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's thinking right first, the Father of Jesus. Then he moves for us to think, think of first the fatherhood over the Son. And then he now wants us to think, think of how in Christ you come in to enjoying all the blessings of the heavenlies. In Christ we enjoy all the spiritual blessings of the heavenlies. That's the life, the love, and the delight of the Father. In Christ we are brought in to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And thirdly, the head of all those blessings in this passage is adoption. We are made sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, blessed in the beloved Son. So we're thinking of this movement, the Father, first the Father of Jesus, then we're united to Jesus, and in Jesus we are made sons and daughters, and we get to experience all the heavenly blessings by nature of our union, faith union with Jesus. Let's think of a second passage, Galatians 4, 4 to 6. This is everywhere in Scripture. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, goal of the gospel, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The goal of Christ's redeeming work is to make us sons and daughters of God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the life of God, get this, literally enters the soul of man. We are born again as spiritual children of the heavenly Father. The Spirit works this sonship deep into our hearts. Now, we do not become gods. Do not hear me wrong. But the life of God indwells the soul of man. That is our spiritual life. 
And it is the Spirit who works this sonship deep down into our hearts so that there is an inner testimony deep within Abba Father, intimate relationship with the Father as adopted sons. Third and final text I just want us to consider very briefly, Romans 8, 14 to 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, that's what I want us to focus on in this text. This is what it adds into this doctrine of adoption. As children of God, we become heirs with Christ. That means all the blessings that the Son enjoys from the Father become our blessings, life, love, and delights. All the fruits of the Father's love are given to Christ. He then gives them to us by giving us the Holy Spirit to the extent where we read in Hebrews 2.11 that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He calls us brothers and sisters family. The greatest news of the gospel is that the Father sends out his eternal Son to bring lost sinners home as beloved sons. The Father's life, love, and delight in the Son is set on us. So now let's recap and then move to our implications. First, we've thought about considering the Father as he is in himself, the Father of the eternal Son. Second, how the Father is towards us. He becomes a Father of us by uniting us to Christ by the powerful mission of Christ and the mission of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at the mission of the Son next week and then the mission of the Spirit more fully the following week. Just now, though, I want us to move to the implications of all of this. And I've given you a long time there without lifting our heads much at all. So I hope you've tracked with me to this point. But let's now think of the implications of knowing God as our heavenly Father. What does this mean for us today? Well, I want to start with a question. I want to ask, are you living in the goodness of your identity as an adopted son or daughter of our heavenly Father? Are you living in the goodness of your most fundamental identity as a Christian? And I don't say that lightly. The second passage that Lindsay read from 1 John 3, 1 just says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. This is who you are most fundamentally if you're a Christian. Child of God loved. Life, love, and delight set on you. Little, broken, messy you. Loved by a love that is beyond your wildest imagination. Our heavenly Father wants us to live in the goodness of our true identity as adopted sons and daughters. He does not want us wallowing in guilt continually, wondering if he does love us indeed at all. And so this living in the goodness of his love involves 
at least the three following things. First, rejoicing in our Father as the source of all our physical life and spiritual life. Practically now, when you come to pray tomorrow, or you come to have your quiet time, or you come to read your Bible, and you're starting to think of coming to God the Father, one of the first things we want to do in rejoicing in our Father is rejoice in Him as the source of all our physical life and spiritual life. So when you think Father, we acknowledge and rejoice in Him. You are the the source of all. And of course, He does not create without the Son or without the Spirit. We've already talked about the inseparable operations of the triune God. The Father creates through the Son and in the power of the Spirit. We'll develop that more fully in the future. But Scripture reveals an order, a pattern. We're to think of the, the Father as the source of all. The source of all creation, all physical blessings we enjoy. You know, I went for a walk early this morning. I do this practically every Sunday morning early. I like to go out for a walk and just pray and think and think over my sermon and think over all of you as I'm preparing to pray. And it was just, there's a beautiful blue sky this morning and I saw the trees and the flowers and it just hit me afresh. You're the Father of all of this beauty. That's how we commune with the Father. It's one of the ways, but we don't just commune with Him as the Father of all physical blessings. We commune with Him as the Father of all spiritual blessings. The Father, out of His sheer grace and love, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In 1 John 4, 7, Paul writes, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? When you come to commune with the Father this week in prayer, rejoice in this truth. Our Father, you're the source of all physical and all spiritual life that I enjoy. Second way I think that we are to enjoy this communion with the Father is we are to receive his fatherly love. John Owen, that great English Puritan theologian, has said, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him as his child is not to believe that he loves you. Some of us here perhaps have wrong thoughts about our heavenly Father. What comes into your mind when you think of the Father? For some of us, we think of him as just an angry father. He's angry towards us, disappointed in us, by nature has no goodwill towards us in himself. All of that angriness is only placated by Christ. And so all we think about the Father is he's angry and he wouldn't be angry if it wasn't for Jesus. Now, yes, it is true that only through Christ we can have fellowship with the Father. But, to quote Owen again, we must always remember the free source of all desire for communion with us in the Godhead is in the heart of the Father. Now, hear that really carefully. The free source of all desire for communion with us. God could have just existed eternally within the triune community of love and glory in the Godhead. But the source, the free source of all desire in the Godhead for have, to have any communion with us, 
In Scripture, it's revealed as being found in the heart of the Father. The Father loved us in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Father lovingly initiated and sent forth the Son to save us. The Father wants us to know that all reason for Him being angry with us has been taken away in His Son. Are you hearing that? We are brought into the happy home of the Father in Christ. And the Father wants us to enjoy our guilt-free position as sons and daughters loved by the Father. He wants us to rest in the full assurance of His love. A love that will never let us go. A tenacious, jealous, fatherly love. And if you need a picture to help you... If you're not wired to think just as much about the deep theological truth, well, our God has given us the most beautiful picture in Scripture to communicate His commitment to us as a father, and it is seen in the parable of the prodigal son. Why is that in the Bible? Jesus wants us to know the heart of the Father towards us, and let's think on it for just a moment to help us get this. In Luke 15, we read, of the son of a father who makes a mess. The father in the story represents God, our heavenly father. The son of the father does not represent Jesus in the parable, represents sinners, us. The son says to his father, Father, I want my share of this state, all the inheritance that's coming to me. I don't want to wait until you die. I want it now. He gets all his money. He sells all his property. And we're told by Jesus that the son goes off to just live a sinful life, to blow all his money, to party. To go off and just live and do whatever he wants. To say, I'm free from the Father. I don't want his moral laws guiding me. I don't want all the guidelines of the family household guiding me. I'm getting out and I'm going off on my own. But you know how it goes. It goes all wrong for this son. He spends all his money. He ends up with nothing. There's a famine that comes on the land. He gets a job feeding pigs. And you just see the power of the story as he's there looking at the pigs, eating their food, and he's wishing that he could be as well off as the pigs that he had something to eat. That's how low his life got. He ran from the father, thought he'd be better off away from the father, and it lands him in a pit of, of sin and mud and mire, and he's absolutely at his rock bottom. But then he says, we, you read, Jesus said, then he come to his senses. And here's what he said, I'll rise, I'll go back to my father. But he thinks in his heart, but I'll never be able to be welcomed home a son. I've blown it. I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so we read that he rises up, starts the journey back to his father. But then we read, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Now that is beautiful, and it tells us a lot about the father heart of God. First, it tells us the father was watching out for his estranged, his estranged son. The father, we're told, was filled with compassion, and he ran to him. Jewish men did not run in this culture. All cultural decorum goes out the window, and the father's love overflows and makes him run to his son. He embraces his son. He kisses him. The son starts his rehearsed speech, Father, 
I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father breaks in, stops him, doesn't even let him finish. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. What was the father saying in that act? Slaves were in rags. Slaves run around in bare feet. This was the father saying, you are welcomed home, not as a slave, but as a son. I have restored you. You are my son whom I love. Not brought back a slave to live with that guilty identity. Brought back with a new, restored identity. Beloved son, you're my son who I love. Robed for us who are in Christ, in the righteousness of Christ made sons. The Father wants you to know this morning this loving acceptance. He does not count our sins against us in Christ. So stop wallowing in your guilt. Rise, stand tall as one who has all the reasons for the Father to be angry against you, taken away if you are in Christ. This is the most fundamental part of your identity as a Christian. One loved by a good, good father. There's a lovely Chris Tomlin song, you're a good, good father, that's who you are. That's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am, that's who I am. So we are called when we commune with the father to rejoice in him as a source of all physical life and spiritual life, then to receive his fatherly love. And how do we receive it? By faith. We believe what he has said in Scripture, that he loves us in this way. Honestly, it makes a huge difference to your communion with God to keep telling yourself and preaching that truth to yourself. I have to do this every day. Just say to myself, today, Father, I feel guilty because of my sin, but I know that because of Christ, you've taken the judgments against me away. And now you want me to, this morning, commune with you in the goodness of your love. You love me. And so if no one else in the world loves me, if everyone hates me, I know this, that you love me and your love will never let me go and all my insecurity, all my fears, all my worried about what people think, it all falls away because you love me. I don't have to think anymore and worry about what you think of me. That is an incredibly secure place to be. The Father wants us to commune in that. But even more than this, the same love with which the Father has loved the Son, the same life that the Father has shared with the Son that is imparted to us in a unique salvation way, they would be incomplete if we did not express this truth, that the very delight with which the Father delights in the Son and the Spirit, when we are united to Christ and made righteous in Him, the Father overflows with sovereign delight in his children. Now, this is hard for us to get our heads around. The same delight the Father expresses over his Son, he expresses over us who are made beautiful by his Son. We could go deep into this, and it is because, essentially, the Father sees the reflection of his beautiful Son in us. And so his delighting in us is not just a delighting in us, it's the delighting in the reflection of his Son in us. Made beautiful by the Son, the Father delights in us. And I want us to just think of this most clearly. 
through those words that the Father spoke of the Son at his baptism. The Father spoke to the Son and said, you're my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. By nature of our union with Christ by faith, those same words the Father spoke of the Son are true for us. Just by nature of being united to Christ, the Father looks at us and says, you are my beloved son or daughter just because you're in my son and he's dealt with your sin problem and he's united to me by faith. Just because you're in Christ before you've done any good, bad, or whatever else, because you're united to my son. That includes repentance, faith, and everything that is part of that because you're united to my son with you. I'm well pleased. You don't have to earn my pleasure. You don't have to read your Bible really hard, pray really hard, live really hard to get me to like you. It's settled. Because you're in my son. With you, I'm well pleased. All your mess, all your sin, all your past, all your brokenness, all, it's all gone. United to Christ, with you, I'm well pleased because I'm well pleased with my son's accomplishments and all of my pleasure that flows on my son, it drips over and chars onto you. And so this is expressed perhaps most beautifully by the prophet Zephaniah, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, quiet you by his love. All those raging storms of brokenness, emptiness, loneliness, quiet you with his fatherly love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And you can imagine how loud a sovereign, omnipotent God sings. (laughs) That's amazing. Not just with singing, with loud singing. Exuberant delight. And I just want to wrap this all up because you've been very patient and gracious towards me this morning. I want to wrap this all up by just asking this one question. Do you know the Father in this way? How well do you know God? I don't mean know about God. I don't mean know, quote verses. I mean Do you know the Father as your Father? Deep down, from the deepest parts of your being, do you know that you're loved by this Father? Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you come to prayer this week and you echo that, Our Father, rejoice. That in his word, he has revealed just what that means. Father, fountain of life, love, and delight. That is how we commune with our heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we've made some big moves here this morning thinking first of your eternal being as Father, then how you are a Father towards us, and then the amazing implications of this. That we can rejoice in you, Father, as the source of all creation life and new creation life. We know that you do not create physical life or spiritual life apart from your son and your spirit, but Father, we're just emphasizing how you in Scripture revealed as the the one who has blessed us in the son and with the spirit. 
You want us to receive your fatherly love. You don't want us to question and wonder, do you really love us? If we are truly in Christ, repentant from our sin, fighting against sinfulness in our lives that we may live lives of godliness, you want us to live in the goodness of your fatherly acceptance of us and love for us. And you want us to rest in your delight. And I pray that, Father, especially perhaps for someone in here this morning or listening that really has been feeling isolated, cut off, and just a bit broken and and not very loved, I pray that by your Spirit you would just now pour your fatherly love, your healing love into their hearts and that they would overflow with joy and that this fresh experience of your fatherly love and acceptance wrapped around them. Lord, it would do amazing things in their lives to help them to walk with you. So Lord, we, we thank you that we can know you as a father, and we know that we can only know you as a father because of Jesus, and we're eager for next Sunday morning as we come to think of how we could never know you as father if it was not for the beautiful person and work of Jesus. And so we eagerly anticipate that, Father, and we pray that as we sing of your love now that we would respond with hearts that are overflowing with grace and guided by truth to the praise of your glory in the beloved, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as the musicians come forward, we're going to respond by singing of the depth of the Father's love for us, a love that is known in Christ and enjoyed in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand to sing how deep the Father's love for us.
should be called children of God, and so we are. Father, we can only say that if we are in Christ, if we've put our lives by faith into Christ. And we know, Lord, that that is something that we cannot do by ourselves. It is something that only you can do. So I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning and they, they, they're hearing us and they're thinking, but I'm outside of that love, may they realize this morning that they can come into that incredible fatherly love through trusting in Jesus. And Father, we thank you for those of us who have done that, that we can know this love that will not let us go. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us.